Hey, welcome to the debut of the Outdated Wrestling Hour. Not like today's wrestling. No, the old stuff. The old Vern Gagne and Bruno Sammartino and Chief Jestrongba. Buddy Rogers, the old stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Not like the day where it takes them 20 minutes to walk to the ring. And they got that bing, bang, boom music playing and the fireworks going off. Shameful. Uncivilized. Anyway, it's the Outdated Wrestling Hour. Keep on rocking. Hi, everybody. My name is Bob Smith, and welcome to the debut of the Outdated Wrestling Hour, and I'm your outdated host. Hope everything is fine. I'm glad to be back podcasting. Um, I didn't know if I was going to. It's been a little controversy in the air, and anybody who knows we know there's an 800-pound gorilla in the room right now, and it's the fact that I was on another podcast for the better part of a year, and I no longer am there. Uh I'm going to take the high road about this particular topic and not say much about it. However, I will say this. Recently in January, I was noticed as not being on that podcast, and I was overwhelmed by the responses I got from just about everybody I knew and a lot of people I didn't know. That was the most exciting part about it to me. Where are you? We don't hear you on the podcast. We miss you. It was incredible. I had at least 100 responses in the first two days after the broadcast, and that was simply from Patreon, not even before the podcast went live for everyone a few days later. I just want to wish everybody with the podcast that was associated with earlier great success with it. I hope it all works out for everybody involved. I could say a lot about it. I'm not thrilled about it. I'll be honest with you, the fact that I'm not there anymore. But you know what? Somebody made a decision. They're going to stick with it, and it's up to them. So God bless everybody that's there, but I'm here now. And you know what? This is a whole new deal. This is a way of looking back at professional wrestling that I hope nobody else does with my tongue firmly in my cheek and a whole lot of other new concepts for podcasting about old-time wrestling. Now, I know there's a lot of places you can go. I know there's a lot of different type of podcasts about old-school wrestling. And there's some good ones out there. There's a lot of good ones out there. But I, I really think that 
the problem with wrestling today is nobody's having any fun. You know, five-star matches and, oh, I, I actually read something on Twitter the other day. Somebody was talking about an AEW match, and they were raving about it because as the author of the tweet wrote, this was great because he almost killed the guy. He meant it for real. What's going on? You know, what's going on with modern wrestling? I don't get it. Uh, Impact Wrestling has had not one but two simulated murders on its broadcast. I'm not even making this up. Two simulated murders, one recently um, a stabbing. That's not why I loved wrestling when I was a kid. I discovered pro wrestling when I was about 12 years old. I remember Rick Stickles, my best friend in high school, and I walking to another county to buy wrestling tickets, about 20 miles each way. Let me take, let me just state that again. I walked to another county to buy wrestling tickets. I spent my 50 cent allowance when I was a child buying Wrestling World magazine or The Wrestler or Inside Wrestling. I got hooked in my early teens and I never gave it up. I was lucky enough to, uh, get a job, as most of you know, with Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine, where I worked my way into the managing editor role after being an associate editor there for a long time. I think I spent about six years total there with Stu Sachs and Craig Peters and Andy Rodriguez and Roy London and um, the whole team there. Bill Apter, of course. Stu Sachs. Great days. Six years there. Give or take a month or two. And then they moved away in around 1993, and I was stuck without a wrestling job until Sandy Krebs called me and I worked for a couple of years for wrestling's made event magazine. And when that hit a demise, I got another phone call from Colin Bowman and I worked for WCW magazine with two stints there. And I also worked with Bill Lapter at wow magazine and some other projects. And uh, every time I try to get out of it, they pull me back in, you know, and that's my story of professional wrestling. I can't give it up. But I want to gravitate back to the old days now. This is what this this podcast is going to be all about. The old days. The wonderful times we all had as kids. You know, if you're as old as I am, you know what I'm talking about. And let's let's take a look now real quickly at a guy who I think is criminally underrated in the eyes of history, in the eyes of time. Because Skeezix is watching YouTube and he's going... I don't understand why Ben Mikel Ciclun is in the WWE Hall of Fame. All he did was lose. He's losing. I got YouTube, and I watch YouTube all the time, and he loses and loses and loses and loses. I never saw him win a match. Well, Skeezix, I got to tell you, you, you got to get a history book. You got to read up a little bit. Get some old wrestling magazines. Talk, talk to your dad. Talk to somebody. Talk to grandpa, I guess, at this point. Because Barry Michael Cicluna was a main eventer between 1966 or so, and I would say till about 1974. And he had a really nice career. All right. He just happened to be a nice guy who enjoyed working for Vince McMahon Sr. and the World Wrestling Federation and was loyal. And he stayed there. He didn't travel a lot in the last decade of his career or so. And he was willing to accept any type of match he could get. And he seemed happy doing it. At least that's the story I get from the other old-timers that I talked to when I was with PWI. I never got to meet the Baron, but I always wanted to because, to be honest with you, he was my favorite growing up. And he was my favorite growing up because I remember attending a match around 1975 at the Washington Avenue Armory in Albany, right? I'm a small-town guy from upstate New York. And the old rickety armory was the place where we went to see WWF wrestling once a month. 
And here comes the Baron. He had never, hadn't appeared there in a long time. And I'm telling you right now, he practically caused a riot just by sneering at some fans. Just sneered at him. Of course, they know he was the red-caped foreign object specialist who was willing to do anything in a match. And they hated him from the get-go. But he stood in the middle of a long walkway that had from the top of the arena, almost halfway to the ring. And he just stood there sneering. And the place went ape. He had, he had a naturally good bad guy charisma at that point in his career. You know, I'm not talking about the 1980s, Cicluna. I know he stuck around too long. You know, he worked for about 21 years for the WWF. And by the end, yes, he was losing most of his matches. But you know what? By the end of the WWE, everybody lost a lot of their matches in the end, like Tony Gurria and Rene Goulet and even Pat Patterson jobbed on TV to Bob Wharton right before he decided not to suit up anymore. So I think Cicluna is criminally underrated, and here's why. You know, we're, we're, I'm gonna I'm gonna point out some stuff that happened to him. You know, uh, jobbers. You can't call him a jobber because jobbers never win. Jobbers are you know meant to make the bad guys look good when they're getting killed in the ring. In reality, Cicluna was a respected professional who, who counted all-time greats like Bruno Sammartino and superstar Billy Graham as good friends of his. In the late 60s, he made it off, and he took on Bruno Sammartino two months in a row at Madison Square Garden. He was still a big enough star in 1972 to take on Pedro Morales for the world championship in the WWF, and he was a tag team world champion with the ferocious King Curtis, managed by Lou Albano at this point. People don't know it because there's very little film of that stuff right now. And did you know that Cicluna was once a world champion, one of the hottest territories in the business? In 1968, he beat no less than Spiros Arian to win the IWA world title in Australia. That's Jim Barnett's old federation, right? It really specialized in violent feuds and, you know, violent action all over the arenas back then. He was really a precursor to hardcore wrestling, I thought, Barnett's federation there. There is a tube also on YouTube that you can check out. I should say a video clip. Antonio Inoki and Michiaki Yoshimura versus Baron Cicluna and Victor Rivera from December 6, 1967. Here's how big a star Cicluna was then. In the clip, for one of the falls, Cicluna pinned Antonio Inoki. Let me repeat that. Baron Mikel Cicluna pinned Antonio Inoki. Jobber wouldn't do that. That's not what jobbers do. Now, I'll be the first to admit, Cicluna stuck around a long time. You know, he, he, he milked the foreign object bit for years and years and years. But he was a dependable hand who helped put people over in a professional manner, and he enjoyed it even in the last decade of his career. Now, here's another thing that's not talked about a lot because nobody remembers it because there's no tape of it. The month before Bob Backlund won the World Wide Wrestling Federation title from Superstar Graham at MSG around 1978, Vince Sr. offered an eight-man tag team match as the co-main event of the MSG card. It was Peter Maivia, Bob Backlund, Tony Guerrilla, and Larry Zabisco against what was considered the two top villain teams in the WWF at that point, Baron Secluded and Stan Stasiak alongside Professor Toro Tanaka and Mr. Fuji. Now, Backlund was faced with a quandary in that match after his three partners were all eliminated pretty quickly. But Backlund beat Secluded, Tanaka and Fuji in succession. And Backlund 
was named the number one title after that match, the number one title contender, I should say, and got the shot against Superstar Graham. And, of course, the rest was history. Backlund won the title the next month. <coughs> so, as you can see, nobody remembers that match because, well, there's no tape of it. Oh, there's a lot of misnomers about Baron Mikel Cicluna through the years, you know. Uh, he used all the foreign object, church key can over his little box cutters, um, little rods of steel. One time I saw some kind of a plastic paint scraper him and Kurt, King Curtis used. And both the WWE website and other magazines say he used a roll of coins. I never saw it. I never saw a Cicluna use a roll of coins, you know. Yeah. Oh, Skeezik. Skeezix keeps talking to me. He goes, hey, all he did was punch and kick. You know, all that Cicluna did was punch and kick. He didn't do anything. He just punched and kicked. May I introduce you to Brute Bernard? May I introduce you to Angela Mosca? May I introduce you to, uh, I don't know, every villain in the 60s? You know, back then, uh, punching and kicking was kind of a way of life for most of the uh, heels, you know. And and when Cicluna was on top, we'll say around 65 through 72, that was an era he was bigger than everybody else. You know, he's about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, about 275, lean like Nick Bockwinkle, two of the greatest natural physiques in wrestling. Now, I'm not comparing Baron Mikel Cicluna to uh, Nick Bockwinkle. Bockwinkle had amazing stamina. Cicluna usually wrestled short matches. And Cicluna didn't do a whole lot of interviews which didn't help get him over a whole lot once he left Albano. Um, Cicluna, he, he had this tendency to uh, rasp when he talked. It, it, legend has it he got kicked in the throat early in his career and wasn't used on interviews. It always needed a mouthpiece after that. But Cicluna stayed loyal. I mean, he went to Hawaii. He, he went to other places. He wrestled in Japan with teaming with Bob Backlund in the early 80s. Can you believe that? It's the truth. You can look it up. So Kluna and Bob Backlund teamed up in Japan as a tag team. So, you know, Baron, is, Baron Cicluna is criminally underrated. Only for the sin, I guess, as they would put it, of staying in the same place, allowing others from other territories to come in. And they would become the main eventers and the qualified main eventers at that point, while Cicluna would work the undercards. And he seemed to have a great time doing it. I'll tell you what, he still got heat. You YouTubers, go look for a match with Cicluna versus Pat Patterson if you want to see Cicluna at his very best. Look for a match against Tony Gurria where Lou Albano interferes at the end if you want to see Cicluna at his very best. Look for the Anoki match versus Cicluna in the tag team in Japan, and you'll see Cicluna very young with his pencil mustache, just, you know, unbridled violence throughout the whole match. In fact, at the end of the match, Victor Rivera and Baron Cicluna beat up the referee. And it looks like Arena is going to break out into a riot then. Not uncommon for Japan brawling style wrestlers. So Baron Cicluna was my favorite wrestler growing up, and I had to bear with it as all my friends made fun of me for loving Cicluna, even though he was starting to lose on television around 1977 or 78. It got more and more frequent. And monthly he would appear putting over a younger star, a younger baby face at Madison Square Garden, usually losing at the end of the match with a roll-up, you know, off the ropes. And, you know, sunset flip, there he goes, and there goes Baron, and, you know, he'd argue with the referee. Cicluna was, was a snarling beast in his prime, but he changed his character slowly. In fact, he wasn't even using his cape the last several years of his career. 
he'd stomp his feet and have little um, temper tantrums when he lost, you know, in the YouTube matches. And he'd also always sell his ear for some reason. He'd fall to the mat and look like he was grasping his left or right ear all the time. I don't know why he did that. Dave Meltzer noted that when he wrote the incredible uh, biography of Sakuna when Sakuna died a few years ago. But he was a main eventer, Baron Sakuna was. He's in the WWE Hall of Fame for a reason. He was a good hand, a loyal employee, and he wrestled all around the world. Do you know, also, do you know he's a world champion? You know, in, in, in Australia, at a time when a federation was at its hottest, stars like Mark uh, Lewin, stars like King Curtis, uh, Bulldog Brower, all worked in Australia and all were main eventers. But so was Sukluna, and they put him up top. He beat Spears Arian, for, for gosh sakes. You know, he was nobody was tougher than Ariana. That must have been a terrific match. And they kept keep trying to repackage Sukluna near the end. In a while, for a while, he in the early '80s he became an executioner, not not one of the Killer Kowalski executioners, but he was an executioner. And then at one point, him and Charlie Fulton got in the mask in, in 1990, excuse me, 1982, and became the demons, just the demons in black mask and whatnot. They actually got a couple title shots against them tag team champions, as Chief J. Sternbow and Peter Maivia at that point. Oh, no, excuse me. It was both the both the Indian chiefs, the Strongbow brothers, I should say. Oh, my memory ain't what it used to be, kids. But that's why this is the outdated wrestling hour, because I'm outdated, too. So what's gonna what's the show going to be like? I'll tell you what this show's going to be like. We're going to have a co-host. I was a co-host before. We're going to have a co-host here, and we're going to have a ton of guests. I have already gotten a whole mess of people who want to come on the show, and I'm going to hopefully have a guest at least every other episode. We're going to be on every two weeks instead of weekly. It just makes more sense. Um, I think it's the way to go with this type of a format. I don't want to bore people. We're going to run for about an hour and instead of two hours for each episode, so it'll be a light, breezy thing to listen to. And we're going to look back at some things that are a little bit esoteric once in a while. Uh, one thing we're not going to look at is me. I'm not here to talk about myself. I am not here to talk about, oh, Bulldog Brown was a great guy. He's a great family man. Did you know, he, I met him in 19... I want to talk about the in-ring action, the stuff, the angles, the great cards. To me, that's what was important. You know, it, so many people are talking about, well, I met, you know, such and such. You know, we took a car trip together. Well, this is a, you know, pro wrestling journalist, and I'm putting my fingers in the air. I don't care. I don't care about the family lives and, and glad handing that goes on backstage. When I covered wrestling for PWI particularly, I wanted to learn about the psychology of wrestling. What made a star a star? What made a series of matches great? How they came up with angles, like the incredible Larry Zbysko, Bruno Sammartino feud around 1980, which I had to see. You know, I had to see. I bought a VCR for $1,000 back then, which was a ton of money in 1980. I had to see that that card and preserve it. And you know what? The brutal television match between uh, Bruno and Zabisco is a classic bloody moment in the history of WWF. And uh, one of Bruno Sammartino's greatest moments, and it made a whole new kind of star in Larry Zabisco. And it was a perfect feud build. And we'll get into that in a future episode, too. 
And uh, I'm hoping to have some of my PWI, PWI compadres on the, on the show uh, as soon as I can get them on the air in a, in a convenient way. So a couple of ex-wrestlers have said yes already and a couple of behind-the-scenes people, including one who is a promoter of one of the great upstart federations of the 1980s. So we're going to have a lot of fun here, and I hope that you're going to be around for the fun too. And you know what? I can promise you one thing. I will never, ever beg for money from Patreon. That's right. It's I'm going against the grain here. I'm not going to do Patreon. I'm not going to ask you to support the show in that regard. I just want your ears. I want your attention. I want your ears. I want you to have fun listening and reminiscing with us. If you're an older wrestling fan, this is going to be the perfect show for you. If you're a younger fan, I hope that you will try to listen and try to learn about what the differences between the wrestling from the 70s, 80s, 90s to today's wrestling and today's stars. It has changed a bunch. Do I like the direction wrestling has gone in? No. And I don't think that's ageism either. I just, you know, the suspension of disbelief is an important thing. You know, I just talked about faked murders on wrestling TV programs. You know, WWE did uh, Bray Hyatt's excuse me, Bray Hyatt, Bray Wyatt set on fire. Do we need this? You know, do we need this? Oh, he was burned alive in the ring. No, he wasn't. He was back about three weeks later. I mean, the suspension of disbelief has to be there. You, you want to watch two guys having a fight for logical reasons. You know what else I don't like about modern wrestling? WWE particularly, Guy's in the ring with a mic in his hand. Somebody else shows up and goes, I'm better than you. I'm going to match right now. And get a referee. So you can sanction wrestling matches on the spot and they count. I mean, it just happened with Charlotte Flair regaining the women's title in WWE. I don't get it. It's not. A, that's not a sport. I mean, if you go to City Field and they're supposed to play the – the Mets are supposed to play the San Diego Padres and the Atlanta Braves show up, can they just walk in and go, we want to play instead? I don't think it works that way. That's not how sports works. Professional wrestling should have a semblance of being a sport. That's when it works best. When AEW first came around, they said, we're going to be a sports-oriented. And that went as far as having a one-loss record on the screen once in a while. Oh, so many other things they've done haven't been anything close to sport. But I wish them well. It's an interesting time in professional wrestling now with the supposedly impending sale of WWE and also with you know what's going on with AEW, Ring of Honor, the NWA, which I really rooted for a couple of years ago to make some inroads. I don't know if they have. I don't know if they will. I just know that I became a huge fan of Nick Aldis as their champion. I'm really anxious to see what's going to happen to him in the future. I think he's world championship material for any federation. What do you think? And we do want to hear from you. Um, we have a, we're going to have a website. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, Bob Smith NYC is my handle there. I'm on Facebook at Robert Smith and I'm going to be dropping uh, promos for this debut show all over the place. So we won't be hard to find. Um, but I miss old school wrestling. I miss the smoky arenas, the Klieg lights over the ring, you know, the, the smoke in the air even. That's how far I go back when you could smoke cigarettes in a wrestling arena. I miss the rickety armory, armory with the uh, wooden seats and the old lady screaming, hair every, every time I 
bad guy did a foul on somebody. It was so much fun. I, I just want to hope I can impart that on all of you. Let's have some fun. Let's let our hair down. I'm not as young as I used to be, obviously. I wouldn't be doing a show like this. I'm assuming I'm going to attract listeners who also are on the older side of wrestling fandom. But you know what? I think it's important to keep the old school stuff in mind, in everyone's mind. Who was Bruno San Martino? Who was Chief J. Strongbow? Who was Ric Flair? Who was Angelo Mosca? Who was Bruce Bernard? Who was Nick Bockwinkel? Who was Vern Gagne? Why are these names important? They're all important. Who was Buddy Rogers? The legendary Buddy Rogers. Who are they? Why, why are they a big deal? Well, we're going to go over stuff like that. We're going to go wherever this takes us. And when we have guests here, we're going to be pretty freeform. We're just going to go with the flow, have some great conversations. I can't wait for the next show because I intend to have either a co-host or a guest on the next one. And we'll. this is the Outdated Wrestling Hour with your outdated host, Bob Smith. I hope I'm not all used up at this point. After my experience on the last podcast, I did. I felt a little bit used up. <laughs> and a certain other podcaster's comments keep ringing in my ear, and I'm thinking, he was right, doggone it. That guy was right. But you know what? Things happen. Things happen for a reason. And I'm really hoping that this show, this is the Outdated Wrestling Hour. I'm your host, Bob Smith. Our opening and closing theme is Boogie Party by the incomparable Kevin McLeod. Great keyboardist, great musician. Check out all his great music at Incompetech.com. That's true, Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons, of course. He played all the instruments on that piece, and it really rocks out. Really great. And by the way, I've had a lot of people ask about my, my own music career. As Robert Charles, spelled C-H-A-R-E-L-S. You can find Robert Charles music on Amazon and Spotify. You can listen free of charge anytime to my warblings, working with blues greats like Michael Hill and, and Duke Robillard and Tony Coleman from B.B. King's band on my records. I had a wonderful time for 15 years touring the country, and I hope you would you know, give it a listen. You might even enjoy it. More blues, you know, more bluesy R&B. I want to thank the good people at Buzzsprout, my podcast host, I want to thank the people at uh, my editing team. Who we will uh, give them a plug in on our next episode. And time, this is Bob Smith saying, my knees hurt. <laughs> <laughs>